3. So 1 Kings 19, 9 through 18, and uh, talking about Elijah. And Elijah went into a cave and spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. And then he said, Go out, stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. Now, I used to read that as, uh, it's still a small voice, <laughs> like that. But that's not what it is. A still and a small, describing the voice, peaceful. And so it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle, went out and stood in the entrance of the cave, and suddenly a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord, uh, because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, killed your prophets. Then the Lord said, Go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive, anoint Hazael as king over Syria, and you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of abel Mechalah, you shall anoint his prophet in your place. And it shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Hazael, Jehu will kill. Whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. And yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Could you give me a little more in the monitor, Marty? Number five. If you push, yeah, just give me a little bit more if you can. So a little bit of background. Elijah, the prophet of God, was sent to the king and queen of the northern kingdom of Israel to confront their idolatrous ways. They had abandoned the true worship of the one true God, and God sent him as a voice um, to curve their rebellion and their sin. And God sent him with the power and the means to stop the rains over the land of Israel, which he did for three and a half years. After an incredible confrontation with the false prophets of Israel, Elijah, at the direction of God, won an incredible victory in seeking to tear down the foundations of this false system of worship. Unfortunately for Elijah, the battle did not end on that day. It's the ongoing fight that Elijah was in and God's revelation of how to navigate that fight that I want to kind of focus on today. So first thing I want to look at is uh, title. Just try to pick out three, because I did it this morning. I didn't have a lot of time to think about it. So I just tried to pick out three words that started with the letter D. So Elijah's dilemma. Do you know what a dilemma is? Right? It's not a Japanese car. It is, <laughs> it is a problem. Okay, so Elijah had a problem. Then he went into a cave, the Bible says in 1 Kings 19, 9 through 10, and spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? So he said, I've been very zealous for the, for the Lord, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, killed your prophets with a sword, and I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Now Elijah knew the voice of God because he responded to the voice of God in this encounter at the very beginning. What God knew that Elijah needed at this time was he needed to, to show Elijah how to focus not on the other voices that were taking place and going on around him, but how to focus on the voice of God. Because what he'd been focusing on ever since the victory has been the other voices that were screaming at him. Now, why do I say that? Because in 1 Kings 19 and 10, the Bible says, he says, I've been zealous for the Lord God of hosts, and the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, killed your prophets with a sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. So now, I read that again because I need to ask yourself a question. Where did Elijah get this information from? It's what he was hearing. It's what was being spoken to him. Now, let me ask you a question. Was this from God, or was it from another source? It was from another source. What was the other source? First Kings 19, 1 through 3, after the incredible victory, Ahab 
the king of Israel, went and told Jezebel, the queen of Israel, all that Elijah had done. He slew 400 prophets of Baal. Uh, fire came down from heaven, and he executed all the prophets with a sword. With a sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when Elijah saw, actually doesn't say that in Scripture. It says, when Elijah saw, he arose and ran for his life. Now, what is Elijah? He is a seer. So what is he picking up on? He's picking up on the spirit that is, that is uh, uh, coming against him. And when he saw, he ran for his life, and he went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. So Elijah got this information from Jezebel. Jezebel was a wicked queen who had been systematically dismantling the worship of God, killing the true prophets of God, and influencing her husband, the king, in the worship of false gods. This Jezebel, the true enemy of God's people, was the one that was feeding Elijah this information. And this Jezebel was really just a uh, body, uh, a person that was a front for a Jezebel spirit. In 2 Corinthians 11, 14 through 15, it says, And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself or disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness whose end will be according to their work. So what I'm trying to get you to realize is that even though we're looking at a person, flesh and blood, there was a power behind this person. And the power behind this person was not from God. It was an enemy. It was who we call Satan, the adversary, devil, the devil. But the reality is Jezebel was being his voice. Just like you can have the true prophets of God be the voice of the true God, you can have the enemy prophets be the voice or people be the voice of an enemy. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, right? So the voice that was coming through Jezebel was speaking to Elijah over and over again. This is my perception. This is what I feel. And uh, on his journey back to the mountain of God, this voice kept replaying itself in the mind of Elijah. And it was this voice that Elijah was focusing on and unfortunately believing. This is what empowered the voice. It was the enemy behind it. God, knowing that, he's teaching Elijah what was happening by getting him to once again distinguish between the voice of God and the other voices that were screaming at him. Okay? So, second point we want to look at is God's depiction. When I say God's depiction, he's going to give a visible representation of what's taking place here. God said, go out to Elijah in 1 Kings 19, 1 through 12, actually uh, 11 through 12. Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind uh, tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. What we learn from this passage is that God's voice, unlike the other voices that were being heard by Elijah, was not the loudest voice. Neither was it the most repetitive voice. The Bible says it was a still small voice. Another way of translating that is it was a voice or a sound of calm, soft quietness. Another, uh, others interpret the Hebrew to mean a gentle whisper or a gentle breeze. Now this is important to where we're going because you have to recognize the source of the voice and sometimes in order to recognize the source of the voice, you've got you've to understand what is the voice producing in your life. Is it producing peace or is it producing fear? Is it producing hope and faith or is it producing dismay and despair? You hear what I'm saying? So compare that sound to the sounds that Elijah was asked to respond to as well. So first of all, he heard the sound of a great and mighty or strong wind. Now, the Spirit of God 
can be described as the wind of God, but this wind was one that rent the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks. It was like a severe tempest. We might describe it as a tornado or a severe thunderstorm or even a hurricane-like wind. Now, how many of you know that hurricane-like winds are destructive? Tornadoes are destructive. That's kind of what was taking place here, and the Bible says God was not in the wind. The next thing Elijah experienced was an earthquake. Now, how many of you know, you may not have been through an earthquake before. Anybody here from California? Right? Have you ever been through an earthquake? Scary. Doesn't produce calm. Doesn't produce peace. Very disruptive. Everything around you is beginning to shake and to move. And then the Bible says he wasn't in the earthquake. And then a fire. Right? So what kind of fire do you suppose it was? Was it a campfire where those around the campfire were singing uh, Kumbaya? Because see, it's important to understand what kind of fire it was. Was it the gentle fire of a barbecue pit about to cook your favorite meal? No, I don't imagine it was that way. I think of a great fire like those that rage out, again, on the West Coast from time to time. In fact, many times those fires are described as a raging inferno. So when I hear the word fire, that's what's running through my mind because that's what uh, the connotations that's brought up with the great wind. That's the connotation that's brought up with the earthquake. So that's what's implied here when it's talking about a fire, but the Bible says the Lord was not speaking through these violent, loud, roaring, natural phenomena. The key here is violent, loud, roaring, disruptive. Reminds me of a verse in 1 Peter 5, 8 through 9. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion raging, roaring, seeking whom he may devour. And what does the Bible say? Resist him, steadfast in the faith. So the problem Elijah was having was he was focusing and putting his attention on the loud, roaring voice of the enemy. Now, how many of you know the enemy lies? He lies boldly, confidently, and loudly. John 8, 44, you talking to the Pharisees who at that time were also the voice of the enemy, not always, but at this particular time, you are of your father the devil and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning. He comes to steal, kill, and to destroy, John 10 and 10. And he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources or his own nature because he is a liar and the father of it. In 1 Samuel 17, 4 through 11, I have a point for this, but I'm going to go here first and then tie it together. The Bible says a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath. His height was six cubits and a span. I didn't include all of that in there, but basically what I want you to realize is that he was not a small man. He was not an average man. He was a giant of a man, right? And this giant of a man came out and cried out. He roared to the armies of Israel. And he said to them, why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard the words of the Philistine, they were, let me say it this way, when Saul and all Israel heard the roaring of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. I'm not changing scripture. I'm just trying to give you a picture of what was happening here. So David shows up on the scene. And when he encountered Goliath, he heard what Goliath was saying. The thing about David is he didn't tune in to what Goliath was saying. Because God was saying something too. But remember, the enemy is louder, more repetitive. God is calm, quiet. So most of the time, 
Which wheel gets the grease? The one that's making the most noise. And if we were honest, what gets our attention most of the time? The squeaky wheel. The loudest, most disruptive voice gets our attention. You ever been to a restaurant and you're talking to somebody and you're quiet and all of a sudden somebody gets loud and disruptive? What happens? Everybody turns their attention from the person they're talking to and everybody focuses on the loud and disruptive behavior. That's why you have YouTube now. All the videos on YouTube are of the loud, disruptive behavior that's taking place. Why? Because we have an ability or some kind of thing inside of us focuses on the loud behavior. Right? But David didn't tune into that. He heard it. And this is what I want to get to and what's important. He heard it, but he didn't focus on it. Okay? But what he did hear was what God was saying, right? And what God was saying, he tuned into, and when he turned into what, when he tuned into what God was saying, he didn't stop the enemy from crying out, but he was emboldened in his faith because faith comes from hearing what God is saying, not what the enemy is saying. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now, here's where I want to go with this. Here's the point of all this. We as God's people, we often want to silence the enemy, thinking that if we can silence the enemy, we'll then be able to focus on and hear and serve God with faith. But what I'm wanting you to see is that it doesn't always work that way. We have to learn to focus in on God and on His calm, quiet voice in the middle of the ruckus in the middle of the fray, when the enemy is shouting us and trying to drown out the word of the Lord and stifle our faith and cause us to somehow believe a lie. The thought that I have in my mind is, any, any of y'all have a favorite football team? And your favorite football team has to go into a stadium of the opposite uh, 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 people of the opposite fans that is dominated by the city of the opposite team and when that football team and if you are one of the fans of the football team you walk into that environment you're not going to stop them from crying out you're not going to stop them from shouting you're not going to stop them from telling you that you're not going to win, you're not going to be victorious, and we're just talking about football. You're not going to stop them from shouting out, but you can't afford to listen to what they're saying. You've got to learn how to listen to what the quarterback is saying, what the coach is saying. You've got to focus on the game plan that you have, not the ruckus. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Focusing in on the enemy and his lies produces fear and unbelief. Focusing in on the Lord produces faith, which engenders perseverance and boldness. Romans 4, 19 through 21. I want to read to you a passage of Scripture. I want to give you a new way of looking at it. And not being weak in faith, talking about Abraham. Remember, Abraham was given a promise by God. If he'll leave his land, leave his household, and go to the place that God would show him, God was going to bless him. Eventually, he was going to give him a, a, a multitude of people that come out of his loins. He was going to bless him in so many different ways. The problem was he was uh, uh, already in the land 24 years and still hadn't had the promised child. And he was not getting any younger he was getting older. In fact, God purposely waited, I believe, until he could no longer have children of his own and his wife could no longer have children. Did you? I was reading this this morning, so I'm going to go here. Did you know that God purposely led the Israelites to a place where they were hemmed in the front, hemmed in on the sides, hemmed in behind? When he led the Israelites out of Egypt, he did it on purpose. He will often lead us to a place where we have no way out but for God to do a miracle. For God to do something supernatural in our lives, right? And he led the Israelites to a place where there was no way out. And when God's people began to look and focus and cry out to God, God did an incredible miracle, parted the sea, and they walked through. Not only did they walk through and were delivered from Egypt, but the enemy that was chasing them, they would never have to deal with again. <laughs> 
that generation at least, right? Now, imagine what the enemy was taunting them when they had them hemmed in. You think they were quiet? You think they were uh, uh, just, uh, uh, just singing kumbaya around the campfire? That's the second time I used that word. Can't do that again. No, they were taunting them. You're going to die. Tomorrow you're going to go back to be our slaves. You're going to give back everything you took from us. Just, that's what they were saying. And we're going to make it hard on you. We're going to make it worse than you've ever been. You'll never do this again. That's what the enemy was crying out. And you know what the Israelites were listening to? What the enemy was crying out. But you know what Moses did? He went to God and what did he say to Moses? Stop crying out to me. Go stand in front of the people and lift up your staff. So what did Moses have to learn to do? He had to learn to stop listening to the people, stop listening to the enemy, and he had to learn to listen to God. But how does God speak? In a calm, still, quiet voice. So anyway, Abraham was, uh, he, the Bible says he did not consider his own body, already dead since he was about 100 years old, and he did not consider the deadness of Sarah's womb. So they were, they were, his body was as good as dead. Sarah's womb was dead. But the Bible says he didn't focus his attention on those things. Now, how many of you know we can, all, we can, if we're not careful, focus on attention, our attention on those things that defy logic? Well, I just, let me say this way. I said that wrong. We can focus on our attention on those things which, according to all logic, would deem us dead. But the Bible says that Abraham did not waver at the promise of God. So, through un, uh, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, being fully convinced that what he had promised he was able to perform. Now, I want to give you a different way of, of saying that, of, of thinking about this. Some people read it by saying, I used to read it by saying, he didn't waver at the promise of God by having unbelief. But one time I was preaching and the Lord showed me something different, and ever since then I can't read it but this way. It's, he did not waver at the promise of God as he walked through the land of unbelief. So what was he hearing? What do you hear when you walk through the land of unbelief and you're surrounded by unbelievites? What do you hear? Unbelief. So what was he hearing? Unbelief. You're old. Your wife's room is dead. God promised it, but it's been 24 years. You might as well turn back. You might as well go home. God's not who he said he was. He promised you this, but it didn't get better. It got worse. You haven't inherited anything. What do you think unbelief was telling him the whole time? Do you think that, that uh, serving God and living for God quiets the enemy? No, oftentimes it aggravates the enemy. It stimulates the enemy in our lives. And what he can do is he can roar. He can talk. He can lie. But Abraham chose not to focus on the voice of unbelief. What he chose to focus on was the still, small voice that said, Abraham, leave and I will bless you. I will do this in your life. This time next year, you will have a child. And Abraham chose, and God doesn't tell you over and over and over and over again. He doesn't have to. He doesn't need to. When he tells you in the mind of God, it's already settled. Sometimes God's gracious and sometimes God's good and God will repeat what he said, but he doesn't always do that. We have to trust that what God said is true. Let God be true and every man a liar. But the enemy doesn't just say things once. He says things over and over and over and over again. And we're trying to find God so God can say the same thing over and over and over again, but he doesn't do that. Not always. Abraham wavered not as he walked through the land where all he was hearing was unbelief. Instead, he chose to focus in on the Word of God, what God had spoken to him, and in so doing, he was strengthened in his faith, and he eventually saw the Word of God manifest in his life when he had a child by the name of Isaac. But you think it was easy? I want to tell you something. The Bible says, fight the good fight of faith. Faith 
is a fight. In order to walk in faith, you've got to know what the Word of God says about your life. You've got to know what the Word of God says about your situation because the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. I came home. I'm not finished, but I came home with this after writing this. And, you know, you have Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Nitzi, you have Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Shalom, you have Jehovah Sidkenu, and all these Jehovahs. There's another Jehovah that not very many people know about, Jehovah Sneaky. Why do I say that? Because when I woke up this morning, I was hurting. I was hurting so bad. I didn't want to get up. But it did. And I went to my office, and the whole time I'm there, I'm thinking about hurt, the pain, when's this going to go away? But guess who's saying that? The enemy. And the Lord reminded me earlier on in the week, he'd remind me of just this thought about the voice of God and the voice of the enemy. And I just began to think about it. And all of a sudden I said, well, should I do something about this? And I started writing it. And as I was writing it and focusing in on this passage, and, and just the Lord was so good and ministering to me by giving me the word of the Lord and writing it down, I realized when I was uh, almost to the point of finishing, I realized that the whole time I was writing, I stopped focusing on my pain. And I said, God, you're sneaky. You taught me to focus like you did with Elijah on the still small voice and not the large voice of the pain and the hurts and all that kind of stuff. And when I focused in on what the Lord was saying, the pain didn't go away. All these things didn't go away, but they weren't as powerfully loud in my life. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And I think that's what God wants us to understand is that that we're going to walk through stuff. Believing God doesn't mean that you won't have struggles and you won't have obstacles and you won't have to deal with stuff in your life. It doesn't mean that. What it means is that I trust in a God who is bigger than any problem, bigger than any obstacle, and he's not against me, he's for me. I had a picture in my mind's eye of a, of a finger with a string around it. You know what that means when people do that to remember something, right? And I said, Lord, what are you wanting me to remember? That I'm good. I'm a good God. I'm not the author of evil. I'm the author of good. When God created on the first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth day, the Bible says he looked and he saw that it was good. He's a good Good God. Well, amen. There is an enemy that is conspiring against us, trying to convince us that God is not. The Bible says in John 10, 27, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. But it's important that we understand what kind of voice is it. Still, quiet, peaceful, gentle voice. Hearing God doesn't mean that the enemy stops talking. It means we have to learn to focus on God in the midst of the enemy shouting. To do that, we have to learn to discern what is the voice of God, what does the voice of God sound like, and in so doing, we tune in on his voice and we tune out somehow the enemy's voice. I had an example, it's kind of a twofold example, but you know, you can't listen to two radio stations at once, right? You, 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 if you have, <laughs> I'm dating myself now as you push a button, but before you used to have these dials and, and you would tune the dials and, and sometimes it, you, you'd be in between stations and, and sometimes you'd be on a station, Oop, I don't want to listen to that, until and, and you get to the station you wanted to listen to, right? So that's one thing. All right. Now, when you tune in on a station that you want to listen to, it doesn't mean that all your neighbors tune their station, turn their stations off. If you're in a parking lot 
Let's say you're at a, at a football game, you're in a parking lot, you're listening to your radio, and you've got all these other people that are, what do they call it, uh, when they... When they tailgating, right? And they're all listening to their radios. Well, you can turn into the station you want, but you can't make them turn off the station they want. But if you tune into the station you want, what you'll find is that you start listening to your music, it kind of dumbs down or quiets down the other music that's still going on. Right? We we can change the station that we listen to and learn how to tune into the voice of God. There may be other uh, voices going on around us, roaring around us, but if I focus in on one station, one frequency, it seems to quiet the other ones down, even if in reality they're blaring and roaring. Remember, God's voice is a still, small voice. It's a voice or a sound of calm, soft, quiet, a gentle whisper, a gentle breeze. Now, I, I would tell my wife this from time to time. I always tell her, I said, when you're going through something, whatever you're hearing, first thing you got to do is identify the source. Because the enemy comes as an angel of light. And a lot of times you get something and you think to yourself, I wonder if God's trying to tell me something. But you've got to know what does the voice of God sound like. Proverbs 8, 1 through 8 says this. Now it's talking about wisdom, but wisdom is one of, the, uh, a qualifica- one of the qualities of God. Wisdom, in some sense, is a personification, Old Testament personification of the Lord. And the Bible says about wisdom, uh, does not wisdom cry out and understanding lift up her voice? So God is talking. She takes her stand at the top of the hill, so God's not in the gutter. Where is he at? He's high and exalted. He's righteous and good. Beside the way, she takes her stand at the top of the hill. Besides the way where the paths meet, she cries out by the gates at the entry of the city, at the entrance of the doors. To you, O men, I call, and my voice is to the sons of men. O you simple ones, understand prudence, and you fools, be of understanding heart. Listen, because this is what the voice of God sounds like. I speak of excellent things. I don't talk trash. I don't talk bad about other people. God trying to tell me something? Does it sound like the voice of God? What does the voice of God sound like? God speaks of excellent things. And from the opening of my lips will come right things. God's not going to create bitterness, jealousy, suspicion, anger, hurt. He's not going to create all of that in your life. How do I know if it's from God? What's the fruit? Is it producing excellent things? Is he speaking of right things? For my mouth will speak truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are with righteousness. There is nothing crooked or perverse in them. So how do I know if it's God? First of all, it needs to match up with this, right? And then what's it producing in your life? And that brings us to the last point, and this is just one page, so we're almost done. The last point is God's direction. Once God clarified for Elijah the differences between the voices that he was hearing, and once he helped him to focus in on what was the voice of God, then we have God's direction to Elijah. 1 Kings 19, 13 through 18, so it was when Elijah heard it, the, the, the still small voice, he wrapped his face in his mantle, went out and stood at the entrance of the cave, and suddenly a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, killed your prophets, I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. And the Lord said to him, go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, anoint Hazael as king over Syria, anoint Jehu as king over Israel, and Elisha you shall anoint as prophet in your place. And you can go and read the rest of that. So in the end, what does God do with Elijah? First, he redirects Elijah's focus back on the voice of God, back on the word of God. Second, he reveals to Elijah that what he has believed was not the truth. In fact, it was so far from the truth, it was actually a lie from the enemy. What he believed was and is a lie. And that's what the enemy feeds us, is lies. 
And you know where his power comes from? Not from his, uh, 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 you know, uh, might and, 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 and physical power. His power to, 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 to mess with us comes from our agreement with him. When we believe his lie. Third thing is, ultimately, hearing God clearly again, he gets Elijah back on track by getting him out doing the will of God. Now, one thing real important here, and we're done. Notice, God doesn't silence Jezebel. He doesn't. But he, he gets Elijah focusing back on the Lord and his still small voice. And when he did, that focus on God and doing the will of God served to nullify the effects of Jezebel's roaring lies in the life of Elijah. Are you hearing what I'm saying? What kind of lies has the enemy been feeding us? I, I was thinking about this. He said, we're all different. We're all different, right? And if there was a crowd of people um, uh, and we were, let's just say, in, in the middle of a crowd of people, you'll have the ability to focus in, even though they're all shouting, all saying something, you'll have the ability to focus in on one. If it's your dad, you can hear your dad in the crowd. You can pick your dad out of a crowd if he says, well done, guy. Well done, son. But you see, we also have the ability to focus in on those things that torment us. We're not all tormented by the same thing. Some of us are tormented by self-pity. Some of us are tormented by unforgiveness. Some of us are tormented by some secret sin that we can't get a hold, uh, we can't get a grip on. Some of us are tormented by covetousness, by greed. We have things in our life that torment us. And the enemy knows your weakness. And what he does is he doesn't silence when it comes to your weakness. He actually amplifies anything that would cause that discordant chord to, to become louder in your life. And when we hear that, it produces fear produces discouragement. It produces whatever the, the, the voice is, self-pity. What does it produce in our life? Self-pity. Unforgiveness, what does it produce in our life? Anger, bitterness. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Right? And so the, those voices are still in the crowd. We want God to shut them off, but they probably won't be shut off until we get to heaven. If God were going to do that, he would have just eliminated the devil when he defeated him at the cross of Calvary. But he didn't. What he did do was empower us. I've given you authority to trample upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means harm you. You shall receive power after the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the innermost parts of the earth. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it's the power of God unto the salvation of those who believe, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. What God did was he empowered us. But in order to walk in the empowerments of God, we've got to learn how to tune in on what God is saying. We've got to tune in on his word. We've got to stop listening to the devil. We got to stop listening to the lies and we got to start listening to God. If God be for us, who can stand against us? Greater is he that lives in me than he that lives in the world. I know what the Lord's promised me. I know, and what happens is despair and self-pity wants to come in and wants to take me down, but I've got to focus in on what God has promised me, what God has said to me, because God is faithful and his word is true. And if the enemy has ramped up his attack, it just means that I'm that much closer to receiving what God has for me in my life. And if the enemy has ramped up his attack in your life, it just means you're about to get a breakthrough. You want to tell your testimony? Yeah. 
I'm in, I said. <laughs> Where do I begin? Uh, he asked me to share my testimony. And uh, it's been uh, since 2014, right? 2015, I'm sorry, 2015. I was uh, standing on the platform leading worship in a church in Pearland. And I had told the team that morning, I'm not feeling so good, so if I stop singing, just don't quit. <laughs> don't leave me out there by myself. Because I'm not really feeling up to par. And sure enough, I didn't last through worship. I passed out. When I passed out, I hit some equipment behind me and uh, ended up staying in St. Luke's Hospital for uh, well over a month, month and a half, and uh, was unable to walk or anything. I was spent, I uh, went home in the wheelchair. And I remember them pushing me into the house. Everything I knew was not there. Everything that was normal is not normal. It's a new normal. And it's like all the things that I did, all those 38 years in my home, it's just, it's gone. I wasn't even able to push the chair across the little strip that divides the floorings, you know. I didn't have the strength to push the chair. I was in a bad way. But I have to tell you something. I'm going to back up and I'm going to tell you this. Whenever we knew my body was shutting down and Bobby said, we have to go. And so we're going to the hospital. We're going to rush there. He stopped at the door. He was trying to get me out. He stopped me at the door, and he sat me down. And he said, we're going to do first things first. And that's when Bobby stopped seeing the circumstance and stopped listening to what the enemy was telling him. And he said, let's do it. Let's do this first. He sat down and he opened the Word of God and he began to read what the Word says. And he opened to the chapter and the verse of, uh, um, what's his name? <laughs> Lazarus. Lazarus. His sisters had sent word to Jesus in a close nearby town and said, The one that you love is sick. You need to come quick. He's dying. And Jesus responded, this sickness is not unto death, but that I would be glorified and I would glorify my Father in heaven. I believe that's how it reads. <clears throat> and whenever, whenever he read that, I said, okay, I'm ready. Let's go. I knew at that moment, I'm okay. I'm good. I'm in his hands. And one miracle after another when we got to the hospital, I remember one the very first time that we were in the ER there, we're all, the, the place is crowded. You couldn't find a place to sit. And a woman walked in and she looked around the room. And she spotted me. And she walked straight to me, knelt down in front of me and said, Can I pray for you? Prayed for me, got up and walked out. Many miracles, many miracles. But I just want to say it's because you have, you have to put yourself in that position to receive. You have to, put your, you have to recognize. You have to hear that voice. You have to know the voice of the Lord and say, I will, I, my, I'm a sheep. I'm his sheep. I'm his sheep. He's my shepherd. I will hear his voice and another one I won't follow. And you have to make a stand. You know, I spent a couple of years in that wheelchair. And I remember I got to where I could stand up at the sink and I would lock the chair and I would pull myself up on the sink and I would lock my knees and I would lean on that sink for just a few seconds and I'd, I'd get back down and I got to where I could do that more and longer I got to where I could stand up and brush my teeth I got to where I could stand up and do my hair that takes a long time I don't know about that today but anyway you know all those little things that that you do during the day you just don't realize you don't realize all those little things, you feel like they've been taken away. And you feel like, you know, I don't ever remember feeling hopeless, but I certainly felt helpless at times. And you know, uh, every time, I remember the first time I came to this church, I was still in the chair. And I remember, <clears throat> I actually was in the scooter. I brought the scooter, I believe, the first time. And so we, I came in and parked and 
I think pastor prayed for me. Everybody prayed for me. I remember one particular time, I, at this point, I walked down this aisle right here. So God was doing a work. Talk about a walk of faith. I walked to the front, and I remember I was right here on this side, on the, and pastor stood before me, and he prayed for me. And he said to me these words, you're going to run. And when I came home from the hospital, my daughter laid hands on me and prophesied, had all the kids on the phone, and we all prayed. Well, she began to prophesy, and she said, you're going to run. You're going to run. You're going to run. Well, let me just tell this. One night in prayer, when we first came here, I'm standing right here, and the circle was like this, and we were all praying. And somebody said something, and it sparked my thinking. And I said, it reminds me of a song I wrote. And the song goes like, I said, I don't, I don't know if I can sing it, but I can tell you the words. And it said, uh, now here I am, I'm locked. I got my legs locked at the chair, you know, and I'm, you know, I'm weaving and wobbling, and that's the way it was. And I said, I said, I can tell you the words. It says, one day I'm going to bust out and dance all over this room. One day a shout will come out, and it might bother you. But you don't know where I've been. I've got good reason for worshiping. I'm all clean and I'm plumb full up. You better move your empty cup. Give me room for loving Jesus. I need room for praising him. Freedom is why he freed us. So I'm going to give him the best that I can. The devil's had my feet too long. And when I said that, I took off running. I think I, sh I shot that way, Pastor. And then I shot back over here and I, whoa, I thought I was healed. <laughs> and then the anointing lifted and I fell flat on my face. <laughs> but you know, it's all right. It's all right. Because I knew God was in control. That right there was proof that he was in control. And so another couple of years went and I got better at walking. Boy, I'd fly in here, and I'd hobble up on this stage. I don't know how I did it, but I know I'd have to do a little something to get up there. Couldn't, couldn't step right or whatever. But what, didn't, what nobody saw was the few minutes I'd come in here and bounce around, and, oh, I'd go home, and I, oh, my goodness. I would hurt, and I would suffer, and I'd moan and groan, and my legs would cramp, and, oh. And if I spent too much time on my feet, I would hurt and I would be sleepless at night. I went to a, a women's meeting and I thought, I'm in a, a conference, a retreat type thing. And I thought, I can do this. That was a big mistake. I couldn't keep up. You know, I just wasn't walking good. I, I didn't have the strength. Nothing was would work. And I had to compensate by using things that aren't used to walk, <laughs> you know. So that's where I was. And every time prayer was offered, I got prayed for. My children prayed for me. My Derek would call me, pray for an hour on the phone. Just pray, pray, pray. All my kids prayed. Bobby prayed. I'd go to sleep at night and think, good night, Bobby, go to sleep. I'm so tired. He'd be over there calling out my name before the Lord. And one more time and the last time I got prayed for we were we went on a road trip and we went to Kentucky of all things I couldn't do a ramp worth a flip you can't I couldn't bend my knees and or I would I couldn't and I had to compensate for that going up a ramp or down a ramp or stairs were difficult and um, we had just been to Kentucky Kentucky's like this I was exhausted so we were going to head home. We went. I said, let's go to Georgia. They had a, a miraculous thing happening there. A Bible was flowing oil, and I just wanted to see it. There's a little a Bible in a gift shop. I just wanted to see that oil pouring out of it that God was doing amazing things. And so we went, and they said, it's not here today. It's at a church. They're going to bring it back Monday. They're going to have a prayer meeting Tuesday. You can come. So it was across the street. So we got us a little cabin, and we stayed, and we went to that prayer meeting. And when I walked in, I saw the Bible. But that's not what attracted me. 
the presence of the Lord is what brought me in. I, I came and I walked in. And if I didn't turn that corner to sit down and that, that floor was a ramp, <laughs> I thought, oh, no, not another one. And so, but I finally got to a seat and I sat down. And uh, when they offered prayer, I went down and got prayer. I went back. Bobby went with me. We sat down, and I was exhausted, literally. And so I put my head down like this, and I put my head on the bench. And I felt something on my head. There was a little man that was praying for me, and he said, God, heal this woman's body. It's just that simple. He said, God, heal this woman's body. Was it his prayer that did it? No, it was all of them. I think the bowl just got full. That was just the one that did it. Don't ever quit. And uh, we left there, and we were just, uh, nothing had changed. Got to the ranch. We were stopping off there because we had a baseball game to be at in Austin, Texas. Playoff game. I woke up that morning, and I said, man, I got to do laundry. I, have anything, I don't have anything to wear. And so I'm doing my thing, shuffling around there trying to get laundry and I made it to the back door and I had to go down a ramp to get to the washroom which is out behind the bunkhouse. So I got my little wad of laundry and I'm getting out the door and I'm going to make it down that ramp and every time I looked at that ramp I just kind of, <laughs> you know, because it was a difficult thing. And so uh, I got to the ramp and I was at the bottom and I went, whoa, wait a minute, something has gone wrong here because I'm at the bottom and I don't remember walking that thing. And I dropped those clothes, and I thought, I'm going to try that again. And I walked up that ramp, and I walked down that ramp, and I walked up that ramp, and I And when I got to the bottom, I started hollering, Bobby, you've got to see, come, come, come. And so he's on the phone, and I'm like, oh, oh please, Bobby. Finally, I walked back in the house, and I said, you've got to come. He comes out to the door, and he sees me, and I said, I'm going to walk this ramp. You tell me what you see, because it felt normal. I got to the bottom, and by that time, I mean, it took that long, and he's bawling like a baby. So am I. And I said, I'm going to try some stairs, so I run to the barn. I go to the barn, didn't run. Went to the barn, and I went up a couple of stairs, and when I got to the bottom of those stairs, and my foot hit the bottom, it's like electricity shot through my legs, and I started jumping, and I started running. You know, that time that I was right here, same thing, same power. <clears throat> I was completely and totally 100% healed. Sneaky God. Jehovah Sneaky. Jehovah Sneaky. So to God be the glory. And I just have to say, if you're believing, choose life. Don't speak. You know, you can get in, in your closet and pray, God, save my children. Bring them to know you as Lord and Savior. And then walk out the door and be at the at the sink doing dishes and say, I don't know how in the world those kids are ever going to get saved. I can't believe what they're doing, blah, blah. You've just killed it. Speak life. Choose life. Speak life. Speak life. Speak life. Speak life. Speak life. Speak life. Never choose death. Never choose death. you got a choice. Choose life. Amen.